How you doing? Welcome to Tuesday's programme. It is the 23rd of November 2021. It's me, the BBG, Richie Allen from BBG Towers here in Salford. I've got a great guest for you this evening. Professor Dolores Cahill will be with me around about 5.30. Around about 5.30. An extended conversation. She'll be with me for most of the rest of the programme. Welcome to it. Do chat with me through my website, richieallen.co.uk. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, saw Oliver Stone's JFK revisited last night, and I wasn't overly impressed with it. It's okay, but but not great. You might want to check it out. It's been on the Showtime network in the US, but it is pretty much available online now if you'd like to watch it. Oliver Stone's JFK revisited. The future Mrs. A and myself sat down and watched it, and well, it could have been made a It could have been produced a bit better than it was, but still, it's worth a look, I suppose. That's the movie review segment of the programme over. Let's get on with the chat, then. Let's do the chat. By the way, I had a very nice response to the email I read from Judy last night. Judy is in Perth, got in touch with me, explained how she's losing her job because of the vaccine mandate, the jab mandate and was looking to meet one or two people in the Perth region of Australia. So I forwarded all of your emails to Judy. I had probably six or eight come in. Maybe there's been more. I'll check later on. But that was nice. And she was pretty happy to receive those emails. So if you got in touch with me last evening and said, Richie, please give this to Judy. I've done it. And if any more come in, I'll do it as well. Professor Dolores Cahill today. My longtime friend Gerald Salente will be back with me on the programme tomorrow. Tis a busy old week it is. Now yesterday, Germany's health minister Jens Spahn said this, quote, by the end of this winter, everyone in Germany will either be vaccinated, recovered or dead, end quote. I discussed it during yesterday's monologue, which was a bit edgy. Forgive me for it. It's not something that happens very often. I wasn't in great form. I'm in better form today. In fact, the phone-in show put me in good form last night. So thank you to everybody who phoned in and to those of you who put messages on the website. Anyway, so this guy, Jens Spahn, said this. By the end of the winter, everyone in Deutschland will either be vaccinated, recovered or brown bread. That is dead. And it's widely believed that Germany will follow Austria. It's been reported anyway, and announced that the jabs will be compulsory for every citizen. So, Kay Burley, the Wigan warrior, the street fighter, breakfasts, breakfast television's longest serving presenter. Kay Burley had her mate Dr. David Lloyd on. What did Dr. David Lloyd think of that statement? By the end of the winter, everyone will be either vaccinated, recovered or dead David Lloyd. I think it's quite a quite a, a neat statement, isn't it? And, I, and it, it really does say something about the number of people that are getting COVID at the moment. I think that what is it is that there are a million people in the UK actually with COVID at the moment. A thousand people died last week. Um, rates are up by eight percent. So uh, we've had a we've got a very high COVID rate in this country. 
much higher than it has been in the rest of Europe, and now Europe are catching up and may overtake us. So yes, I think that's a, a telling statement, and I think some big decisions have got to be made about vaccinating people because that there is that rump that we need to get at who, who really have been resisting. What was that last bit about the rump? Big decisions have got to be made about vaccinating people because that there is that rump that we need to get at who, who really have been resisting. Rump? Are you the rump? I've looked at various dictionary definitions of rump. It's not... It's hard to understand where he's going with that. There's a rump, anyway. A rabble, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. That we need to get at. Did Kay Burley ask him by... What did he mean by big decisions? Did you ask him that, Kay? What sort of big decisions? Go on, girl. Well, I've already got, I've already got on, on, on record yesterday saying that there should be mandatory vaccination and being flamed on Twitter, so I've got to be careful here, but... Um, I, he was flamed on Twitter. I, I really do think that we need to think very seriously about different ways of getting vaccines up. The Americans have tried bribing and giving out prizes and that didn't work. Uh, so we've got to look at every way that, that we can to get the vaccination rate up because we need to get people vaccinated to get this disease because unvaccinated people are, are the people that are in hospitals at the moment. They're, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember him saying that unvaccinated people are the ones taking up hospital beds at the moment. Please keep that in mind. Vaccinated may get the disease, but they're not going to die or go on ITU. So we've got to get that message over and that everybody who is eligible for a vaccine should get one as quickly as possible. Surely persuasion is a better option. Why is that not getting through to people that even if they don't, even if they think they're invincible, it's for the greater good? For the greater good. Why isn't it getting through to people that they should have these bloody jabs? Well, again, I had a glimpse of that yesterday on the 950 people who, who objected to my, my statement and looking through the, the words on Twitter. There are, an awful lot of, <laughs> there are an awful lot of people with very odd views about life uh, and they get that information from the obscure parts of the internet so that they think that what they're reading is the truth. They think that, that their research is better than the research of scientists. Now, so he got inflamed or flamed on Twitter yesterday by 950 people. This was just after he had said that everybody should be forced to have this jab, regardless of whether they want it or not, they should be forced to have it. So he was flamed on Twitter. And he found it very difficult to understand where these people get their ideas from. They're not listening to the scientists. They think they're better researchers than the scientists, says David Lloyd. And, and it's just not true. We know overwhelmingly how effective the vaccines are. But they're not, though. By, by their own admission, they're not. They're useless. They don't do anything. They don't stop you getting sick. They don't stop you passing it on. And how overwhelmingly safe they are. And they're not overwhelmingly safe. We know that. I've just got to open up the gov.uk website now. That's the government's official website. And go to the latest yellow card reports. And that, I'm not making that up. I can do that now. And I will see a litany of adverse events or, or vaccine injuries. Uh, and anything that's on the internet that counters that argument. Yeah, like from the government's website. <laughs> I can go on the government's website and use the government's statistics to counter your narrative that the jabs are safe and effective. Um, is doing enormous damage, and that's what's happening. People are reading threads and, and things on the on these uh, on these social social internet social sites. I'm not, David, because I'm banned from Twitter and I'm pretty much banned from Facebook as well. I get my information from the government's own website. So are the government crazy conspiracy theorists? Uh, and they're believing them when they really should be believing the people that you have on your programme, Katie. <laughs> the experts, not me. 
but you have the professors and the, the people on the committees who really do know something about vaccination and they should be listening to them and, and not the crackpots on the internet. Don't listen to the crackpots on the internet. Listen to Kay Burley's guests between 7 and 10 Monday to Friday, okay? Yeah, I'm an expert on Twitter, let me tell you, Doctor, and um, never read the comments below the line. There be dragons. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. Tell me Thank about you. the new variant. How worried should we be about that? <laughs> oh, golly, you see, you've got me asking stuff that you know more about than me. I, 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 <laughs> my brief reading of is, is that it's not more deadly, but it is more infectious. This is what passes as journalism, you know. She could go on the government's website too, Kay, and see all of these injuries. But no, 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 don't, don't, go on the, don't go on Twitter. Don't look at the comments. Oh, good God, no. And then, um, tell us about the new variant. I know nothing about that, Kay, except I was told it might not do you too much harm, but it's more infectious. And the beat goes on. How did this end up? Oh, yeah. Burley wanted to ask him about masks. So do you think people should wear masks when they're outside? Right. Why would you wear a mask when you're outside? Well, I think you. I think everybody should wear a mask when they go anywhere near people. People were crammed in well within the the, the meter rule. They were stuffed together, uh, coughing and spluttering. I think it's the airborne virus. So yes, I think people should wear masks if they've got any chance of being near any other human being. If you've got any chance of being near any other human being, you get a mask on your face, you bastard. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Get a mask on your face. How many times can you get COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a very good question. I think that we don't know. I don't know what the world record is at the moment, but certainly we... The world record. Does anybody know what the world record is for somebody somebody getting COVID repeatedly? What's the world record, do you think? People have had it twice. So, yes, I think you can. Your immunity will wane. Your antibodies... Your immunity will wane, will wane, your antibodies. Antibodies will wear off. So, yes, you maybe you can get it several times. That's a very good question. Very good question, Kay. That's why, you're the, that's why you get paid the big bucks. How many times can you get COVID? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Stop the presses. Now, listen to what Kay says. Remember some months ago, I interviewed a gentleman called Sucharit Bhakti. He's an epidemiologist from Germany. Maybe not originally from Germany. Maybe his family heritage is, is from the Orient and maybe America, maybe German. Anyway, for many, many years, this guy was considered a bit of a doyen, Sucharit Bhakti. Bit of a doyen, the go-to guy. Now, he came on with me before anybody interviewed him, I interviewed him. Now, he won't come on with me ever again, but I forgive him. The reason he won't do that is because he was hammered by the press for, for daring to, to, to talk to me. I'm the, I'm, I'm, the, the, I'm the hateful guy, apparently. Don't speak to me because I hate everybody. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He spoke to me way back when, and he said, around about the same time that Dolores Cahill was saying, he said, the thing about these mRNA jabs is that when you get them, and he talked about the spike proteins and what the spike proteins in the jabs would lead your immune system to do eventually. And you might remember Charit Bhakti or Sukharit Bhakti said to me, the thing about these jabs, he said, is when you get them, a little bit later on down the line, you will be exposed to viruses like you ordinarily would be at any given time in your life. Problem is, he said, these viruses will be worse. They will feel worse. And they will will appear to be doing more damage to you when you get them. When in fact, it's the vaccine. It's the vaccine basically supercharging your immune system to attack the body. Pathogenic priming, I think. Now, Bhakti said this to me clearly, as have others. The jabs will 
eventually cause the body to turn on itself when the body is exposed to fairly innocuous viruses. Just have a listen to what Kay Burley says here. And please listen carefully. Again, probably something you know more than me. Well, Kay. I don't. I don't. I know that <laughs> I've had it twice. And um, as you know, Doctor, and so, you know, it's um, it's worse the second time. I don't know whether it gets worse each time you potentially have it. I don't know. I'm sure that because it's such a new virus, we'll find out as time progresses. Yeah, we, we've got to hear that again. And I might, if I can tee this up a bit later on, I might play this for this for Dolores Cahill. I don't. I don't. I know that I've had it twice. And um, as you know, doctor, and so, you know, it's um, it's worse the second time. I don't know whether it gets worse each time you potentially... It was worse the second time for Kay, and this was post-jabbing, by the way. I know this because Burley has talked about this before. It was worse the second time. How could it be worse the second time if you had your jabs? Number one. And number two, if viruses mutate downwards in terms of their virility in terms of how pronounced they are in, in terms of how sick they might make you feel they scale down not up so that's really interesting isn't it Kay Burley saying that 13 minutes it is past the hour this is the Richie Allen show for Tuesday so it is now so the media has boxed off the entire week to push mandating Covid jabs I saw this on Monday yesterday morning and I thought this is down for the week now. They're going to be talking incessantly about the need to mandate the jabs. So it's over to BBC Radio 5's Nicky Campbell. He's got a new phone-in programme. Nicky is good with the peoples, apparently. He's down with the ordinary folk, apparently, is Nicky. So they stuck him on a phone-in show between 9 and 11. Now, today's phone-in programme is in two parts. The first part dealt with the social care problem and Boris Johnson. And the second one dealt with compulsory jabs, and that is what we're interested in for the moment. Nikki Campbell speaks here with a professor of immunology. Listen to her. And Professor Claire Bryant, an immunology expert. Hello, Claire. Hi, Nikki. Do you, th- do you think there's anything in this? We need to get real tough on anti-vaxxers now. Claire. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, it's, um, it's, it's really... <sighs> hard to defend a position where we have people coming into hospital who are not vaccinated. Um, it, it, it's very, very difficult. You, you have to ask the question of why our, our really fantastic clinicians who've striven so hard during this whole crisis to, to look after people who are seriously sick with COVID should be put in that position. Uh, and it's occupying ITU beds of, of people, you know, other people who've got other illnesses um, and also the people who can't get vaccinated, Nikki. You know, there are people there who can't because they're immunosuppressed and, and these people are seriously sick. Mm. I couldn't give a shit about those who can't get vaccinated. I couldn't give a rat's arse about the immunosuppressed. I don't care. I care about the people I love. I care about the people I share my life with. I am not apathetic when it comes to other people's lives. I'm a decent, good, uh, kind-hearted human being. I'll help anybody where I can. But some bloke living across the city who's immunosuppressed, I couldn't give a rat's arse about him. I'm certainly not going to take a dangerous medication just because he was born with some immunosuppressed, immunosuppression type of syndrome. That's tough shit, Paddy. That's nature. That is tough shit, Paddy. That is nature. I've no hair. I don't go complaining. I don't go around. I don't go around asking other people to wear amoxanil on their heads so that I might, it might rub off on me and my hair might grow back. You know? It's silly stuff, this. 
the earlier point you made about the ITUs filling up with unvaccinated people, this is a mega lie, and we'll come back to that in a moment, so we will. Mm. Is it a, uh, a disease, by and large, of the unvaccinated now? It's, it, it's, there's still, yes, there's a lot of um, disease in the unvaccinated. There, liar. She's a liar and she knows she's lying here. There is an element of, of um, obviously, after the second dose, we now know you need to get a booster after about six months. So the booster rollout becomes absolutely critical. Um, yeah, she's just a pathological liar, Claire Bryant. She knows damn well that the ITUs are not filling up with unvaccinated people. I want to keep, I want you to keep this in mind. Because GP David Lloyd said something similar to Kay Burley earlier on. And I want you to think about what the definition of vaccinated is in the UK. Because this is some shit show now. This is some con job. I'm going to demonstrate in a moment how if you've had a jab or if you've just had your second jab, you are not considered to be vaccinated. And if you end up in hospital with a virus they will put you down as an unvaccinated COVID case, even though you've had two jabs, but 14 days have not elapsed since your second jab. If you have one jab and you're waiting for your second jab, you are not considered to be vaccinated. This is a fact. You can check this out on the government's website if you don't believe me. This is a shit show. They're doing this deliberately. Nearly everybody who is sick at the moment no matter what they have, is jabbed. Why do we know this? Well, because more than 110 million jabs have been given out in this country. Have a listen to... Let's skip on a bit. No, let's not skip on a bit. Before we we get to the definition of vaccinated versus unvaccinated, on the same Nicky Campbell programme this morning, we heard from Julian Savalescu. Now, he's a fairly well-known professor of medical ethics and he often pops up on UK mainstream media. Let's hear Julian Savalescu. He's asked about mandating the jabs. Yeah, well, there's two justifications for mandatory vaccination. First of all, to, to prevent one person harming another by spreading a lethal virus. Um, that doesn't really work in COVID very well because the vaccines aren't very good, actually, at, at preventing spread. They're not very good, actually. Um, they're much better at protecting individuals. And no, they're not. The second justification is to stop people uh, becoming ill and uh, putting pressure on the health system. So that's the, the real justification here. Um, but then you have to bear in mind that for people under the age of 50, they're extremely unlikely to be putting pressure on the health system. So take the extreme example, young children are highly unlikely to be uh, getting sick and needing hospitalisation. So the justification for making vaccination in children mandatory is extremely weak. And so for young people too, the chance of a 20-year-old dying is about the same as dying in a car accident. So it's really not a disease of the unvaccinated, but a disease of the unvaccinated vulnerable, particularly the elderly. So if you're going to introduce mandatory restrictions, lockdown, um, they should be targeted. Um, at no, they shouldn't be, Julian, you dipstick. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be targeted at anybody. If somebody doesn't want to take the jab, doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how vulnerable you might think they are, they shouldn't have it if they don't want it. And nobody should coerce them into having it. You were doing well up to that point. The jabs are useless. Why mandate a jab that doesn't do anything? 
That's the question. Let's skip on now. Let's skip on. Because, dear listener, last evening on the James Whale radio show on Talk Radio, which is a national but very poorly performing talk radio station. That's not me being churlish now. Talk radio doesn't have a, a lot of listeners. It doesn't do very well. I, I know this, right? Rajar, you can look it up yourself. You can see how many people listen to each individual programme. But anyway, Whale was doing his thing. He's an ignorant bastard, James Whale. A horrible, hateful. I don't like to say hateful because I, I criticise others for using that term. He can be hateful if he wants, but he's horrible. And on the programme, a bloke called Dave rings up and Dave wants to make this point. And he's making the point because previously, on the same programme, prior to Dave ringing in, Whale and his sidekick, a guy called Ash, have been going on about the unvaccinated taking up uh, hospital beds, the selfish bastards who won't have the jabs. But Dave has seen the same data that we've seen, and that is that it is not the case. It is not the case that unvaccinated people are going to hospital. If anybody is going to hospital, it is the jabbed. But the government is deliberately misrepresenting the data. And the government is not counting people who have been jabbed as vaccinated to suit their own ends. Listen to this exchange and listen to the conduct of the joint presenters when they realise what's happening. And what I mean by what's happening, truth bombs are being dropped all over the programme. And sure, Jesus, we can't have that. I, th I think it is obviously really important that this time people are really well informed. They're not confused. And unfortunately, obviously, statistics can be misleading. They can be deceiving. And when, it all, when this all first happened, a lot of people were saying they don't trust the statistics. Did people die of COVID or with COVID and all, all this kind of thing, as, as, as I know you're, you, you know you're obviously aware of. Now, when, when the vaccine rollout first happened, the national newspaper wrote that most people in hospital, in ICU and dying of COVID had been vaccinated. And they gave a, a very logical explanation for why, for why this would be. Yeah. And I think Neil Ferguson done, done the same thing in one of his yeah. press conferences. Now, anyway, now what people are saying and what your guest said is that the, the hospitals are being clogged up with unvaccinated people. And it's, it's almost it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So well, I, I looked into this and I think it's quite interesting. Now, if, if someone had just received their second, their second jab, say, 10, 11 days ago, and they go to the hospital and then they die... Would you consider them to be vaccinated or unvaccinated? They're vaccinated. You can still, vaccinated. You can still die. You, you can then. still get COVID and die from if you vaccinate. Yeah, that's not his point, though. He's not making the point that they can still get COVID and die. He's making the point that they've gone to hospital. They have previously been jabbed, but the hospital is not going to record them as a vaccinated COVID case, it's going to record them as an unvaccinated COVID case, either because they've had one jab or two jabs, but 14 days hasn't or haven't yet elapsed. According, according to the statistics, they would go down as being unvaccinated. Yeah. Because according to the government statistics, <laughs> unless you've had both vaccines... And, and following after 14 days of your second vaccine. OK, all right, David, I've had enough, really, because obviously... So James Whale, who, who, who genuinely is about one of the worst people that ever lived, he really is, he's been told by his producer 
stop this now. You are more informed than we are. So why don't you just tell us uh, right at the end of this exactly what you think. Um, yeah. Don't beat around the bush. Can, yeah, then we can get on with something else. Ah, don't beat around the bush and we want to get on with something else. But he was telling you something really important. Is that when the government tells you there is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, the government are basically a lying shit show. Lying through their fucking teeth. By not counting people who have been jabbed as jabbed people. I thought Dave was doing really well there. Listen to how this progresses. When you, when you come to examples like this, it doesn't seem like it's being very... Examples strong. like what? Well, the example that I'm given, because quite clearly you said that... that yeah, what, which down. example have you given? You just waffled on. You haven't given any examples. You well, said stuff... He's given some brilliant information, actually. Stuff ...that you've heard, and I actually don't remember any of that stuff being uh, actually said by the... Uh, That's because you're as thick as horse shit, James. You've not got a two brain cells to rub together. You're a lazy bastard who depends on a couple of producers to tell you what to say and mostly when to say it. Uh, by the government or the medical advisors. So I don't know where you got it from. You got it from the government's website like I did. I'm asking you as, as, as a person, as you know, the three of us talking together, well, what do we... Don't you patronise me. No, I'm, I'm really to. not in the mood I'm for it tonight. To. So well, be very careful. Well, imagine that. Imagine... Uh, I, I don't understand... Why Talk Radio wouldn't have fired this guy a long time ago? We fired people at WLRFM in Waterford for less than that. Treating people like that, threatening people. Talking over them. Uh, belittling them. Mocking them. Instead of listening to what the guy is actually trying to say. What, what do we consider someone to be vaccinated to be? Now, I consider anybody who's had a jab to have been vaccinated. I personally, I would say if someone's had one jab that we could put them down as someone that's been vaccinated. Yes. Um, we are better off I, with one jab than without, definitely. Well, right, but the, the government statistics are that you had to have had two jabs and had... And yeah, well, that's just ICU. when you're fully vaccinated, yeah. Right, and and now, no, 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 not when you're fully vaccinated, yeah. He's making the point. How can the government claim there is a pandemic of the unjabbed when pretty much everyone is jabbed? And when you look at how the government is doing it, the government is deliberately skewing the data fluffing up the data, misrepresenting it, by saying that people who have been jabbed are actually not jabbed. Why? Well, because they're not fully jabbed. But they've had one jab, and you said that one jab gives them 70% or 80% protection. So how can you say they're unvaccinated COVID cases? They've had a jab. This is the point Dave is trying to make. Now we've got a booster, yeah. And two weeks yeah. afterwards. If you've yeah, had only yeah. so one what? vaccine and you've only had two weeks, it's not yeah. properly protect. You need you are three better than or four weeks. Still better than nothing. Why are we arguing about this ridiculously yeah. stupid point that he's bringing up? Because, because why are we break, even talking about it? Because when you break, Where were you medically trained? I'm talking about the statistics that are available online from... from, from yeah, but even uh, you can make out those statistics whatever you people, want. Even uh, most in our intensive care are vaccinated, it's a very small proportion of, well, of vaccinated. Yet, yet the people who are unvaccinated, a very large proportion of them will, will get ill. Well, this is the point, is that the people that have had no vaccine whatsoever are the, min are the minority, the minority of the dead. Yeah, well, they would, that would be right, because 90% of people have had uh, vaccines. Well, exactly. So. I, I agree with you, but it's yeah. misleading. Well, no, you're being misleading, because what mm. I just said is true. Like, if you're unvaccinated, you're much more likely as a percentage of the unvaccinated. Let me ask a question before I actually get so angry, I start swearing. You just can't understand it, Dave. I love these tough guys in their studios in London. These tough guys who think they can speak to people like that. 
you know, you, you could imagine meeting James Whale somewhere in London. Watch his bollocks shrink if he's confronted by somebody face to face, eyeball to eyeball. They're all tough guys, aren't they, in their studios, these guys. Him and James O'Brien and others. These bullies. I wonder how tough they'd be if they had to face up to people or front up to people in public. I don't mean me now, because I've got no axe to grind with James Whale. He's not done anything to me. But some of these people that they ridicule and humiliate, I wonder would they be so quick to attempt to ridicule and humiliate them if they had to stand in front of them in public somewhere? No, so he's thick. But let me, no, no, no. He's just called him thick. He's just referred to the guy as thick. Let me, ask, let me ask you this question. Of all the things in the world for you to get upset about, because nobody at the moment is making you have the vaccine. Yeah, we'll leave it there anyway. Uh, it's a very important thing to become upset about. The media is repeating the government's lie that there's a pandemic of the unvaccinated when in fact there isn't. That the, the great, great, great majority of people going to hospital in fact have been jabbed. And that might explain what Kay Burley was saying earlier on. Oh, I've had COVID twice. It was worse the second time. I wonder, does it get worse each time you have it? Well, I'll tell you, people like Sakarit Bhakti and Dolores Cahill, and they're eminent scientists, they suggest that, well, maybe, yes, maybe these jabs will mean that those who have them will become more and more ill over time as they are exposed to viruses. Let's get Dolores Cahill on the programme then. Probably a pertinent song for my guest today, this Tuesday, the 23rd, of November 2021. I don't need to tell you too much about her. I'm sure you know lots about her by now, but she is an internationally recognised scientist, recognised for her expertise in biomedical research. She did her uh, PhD in immunology and biotechnology at Dublin City University. She has worked for many, many years. She also, by the way, uh, received an honours degree in molecular genetics from Trinity College in Dublin. That's pretty impressive. So it is. Um, she was one of the founders of the World Doctors Alliance. Go to worlddoctorsalliance.com. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the programme, Professor Dolores Cahill. Dolores, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, Richie. Good evening. How are you? I'm not too shabby, thanks. All the better that, that you're here. And there's so much that we're, we're going to get into in the next hour or, or more. Before we talk about adverse events, reporting of adverse events, my listeners were really keen to get a, a flavour of how it went when you and others managed to meet with Sir Graham Brady, Conservative MP and uh, Chairman of the 1922 Group, a kind of a lockdown sceptic MP. How did that go? Was it a positive meeting? Well, that meeting was held under Chatham House rules, you know, that was the arrangement that he met us on. So um, that means that we can, can't really go into the specifics, I guess, to honour that. But um, I think there hasn't been much communication between him um, and the retired um, police officer that organised the meeting. So not that much, to be honest, has come out of it, as far as I know. Fair enough. You can't divulge what was discussed. You might tell me... Did you think that he was listening to what you were saying with any interest? Well, I think, you know, to be fair, um, you know, he's very professional. I think he's used to meeting very many people. But I suppose, um, you know, if he knew it already, maybe that may have been the reason why he wasn't so shocked or didn't come across as shocked. But then if he was aware, he should have been, you know, more proactive and saying to us that as chair of the 1922 committee, 
that he should really have been going back to the Prime Minister and to tell him that there are serious concerns because not just there was not just the people at the meeting, but many of the world leading scientists and professors and doctors were also um, on the call and we were all telling him firsthand, you know, stories of the adverse events and the death that are being caused by these clinical trials. So I suppose I would say that I was disappointed at what has happened since the meeting, to be honest. What a shame. As a journalist, I would have loved nothing more than to listen in to what he was being told, even though I can imagine what he was being told, because he wasn't being told it by Auntie Doris on Facebook or Uncle Ken, as the mainstream media like to call so-called conspiracy theorists. He was actually listening to eminent scientists and doctors. Anyway, thanks for that. Again, mentioning on, on my website today that you were coming on, People wanted to talk about what your own understanding of the latest UK government yellow card reporting system and the VAERS United States reporting system for adverse events. What, what, what do you understand the latest reporting numbers to be? Not the exact numbers, but the sorts of things that people are reporting. Is it becoming more and more common uh, that people are reporting adverse events or, or injuries? Yeah, so I think these are still in clinical trials, right? And normally in the world, if 50 people died in a clinical trial in the world, the clinical trials should be stopped in the entire world. And we have over 50,000 deaths reported uh, on the databases between the EU, the United States and the United Kingdom. So 50, over 50,000 people have died on these trials and they reckon that this is underreported by 100 times. So I guess we then directly move into why are the regulators in the UK and Ireland and around the world not stopping these clinical trials? What's your opinion, Dolores? You're obviously speculating here. Why do you think the medicines and healthcare regulatory authority or agency, whatever it is, in this country, um, June Rain, Dr. June Rain, why are they not stepping in and saying we've got to stop this? So I think they, you know, it goes to the wider issue that there is a breakdown of the workings of the police and the courts and the politicians and the media in our society, sadly. And if the police were working properly and even the judges, and I would say uh, and I'm calling really now, the adverse events and the deaths are so significant that I think really the retired judges um, and the military and the retired police and police in the United Kingdom were really canon. Right, we, Dolores has just gone down. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give her a quick call on uh, on the mobile so you've got to bear with me a minute I've got it dialed in there somewhere in fact what I'll do is for once I'll do the professional thing I'll take a tune and we'll get her back on the mobile she's got to take the call outside today which isn't um, uh, anything we can control so just bear with me a second and uh, I'll get her on Professor Dolores Cal, worlddoctorsalliance.org that's the website if you want to check her out let me, uh, let me get a tune in there I think we might have the Bee Gees lined up and uh, we'll get her back right Right, we'll get rid of the music quickly. I think we've got Dolores back on the line. Sorry about that, Dolores. The, the Skype connection was a bit dodgy there momentarily. It might be better to do it the old-fashioned way on the old dog and bone. You were talking... Uh, you, you sound a thousand times better now. You were talking there about the need to connect with and impress upon 
military men and women and policemen and women who might be retired and who might be looking on aghast at the breakdown in law and order here in the UK, in Ireland and elsewhere? Yes, because I also think, you know, Richie, we were talking about uh, the number of babies that are dying in the morgues and in the hospitals, as we mentioned when we were talking about this this morning. That really it's also for the judges and the courts to consider and the doctors in the hospitals really that you were mentioning that you had someone that said in one hospital there was 30 babies uh, that had died. And I was on a call last night with a nurse from Canada to say that in the last week in one hospital there were 13 babies that had died uh, just after being born where normally in the last week it would be one baby that would sadly die per month. So I think really this is now a wake-up call um, to all of the you know, people in our society that we are requiring that they come and just do under the precautionary principle um, that we put a stop to the injection of pregnant women and put a stop to these clinical trials. Interesting you mentioned, I shouldn't say interesting, it sounds very indifferent, I'm not indifferent. Shocking that you mentioned a Canadian nurse said 13 babies died, it ordinarily would be one. You mentioned Wes Jackson, who came on the programme on the 10th, I think, so that's what, 13 days ago, two weeks ago, Wes came on, he's a funeral director in London, and he went to a hospital in London as part of his duties, he went to a mortuary, a morgue, yeah, and he did say on this programme that he counted 30 cadavers, a terrible thing, I don't know if he said cadavers, but 30 dead babies. And that's got to be astonishing. I mean, that's got to be anomalous. That can't be normal, that. No. So, you know, when I was came out in May 2020, right now, sadly, we can go this into more detail. But this has sadly been planned from decades ago that there would be an increase in death and infertility um, and a reduction in life expectancy between 2020 and 2025, the end of 2025. And in May 2020, I said that the mRNA injections will, will uh, cause huge shortening of you know, life and it will be in multiple phases. But I actually you know, never thought that they would inject pregnant women with this because you know, the CDC has come out now over many months and said in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy that nine out of 10 women that are injected, their unborn babies will die. You know, and this is, I mean, this is just um, absolutely contributory manslaughter, medical negligence. I didn't it's see that, Dolores. Hang on a second. Can, can I ask you to confirm what you said? Because I haven't seen that. Did you just say that the United States CDC has admitted that women who are pregnant and then vaccinated might very well lose their the, children? Well, in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, right, the first trimester, right. the CDC have published figures that the injection of pregnant women in the first trimester, the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, that 9 out of 10 pregnant women, their unborn babies will die after the injection, 9 out of 10. And this is well known. And so it now looks like that if those babies don't die during the pregnancy, that they are dying within the first days or weeks after being born. 
This is astonishing stuff in light of what Wes Jackson said. I wish I had a producer now. Back in my commercial radio days, a producer would have been able to go to the CD, CDC website and whip up that um, paper. Not that I'm in any way accusing you of being untruthful. I'm not doing that. But I'd love to have that to hand so that I could double down on that. That's because every young woman, every middle, any pregnant woman uh, should know that, should be made aware of that instantaneously, right? Yeah, so the analysis has been done from New Zealand and the authors are Thorne and Brooke. Thorne so and Brooke. So you and uh, your listeners uh, can look up Thorne and Brooke from an analysis of the CDC figures. The analysis by the CDC was incorrect initially and then the figures have been reanalyzed to show that 9 out of 10 uh, women. So, I mean, this is, you know, this has been known now for a number of weeks. But also, the, you know, in the animal studies, you know, and um, the this similar uh, deaths died in the animal studies. This is entirely what we know. And no mRNA injection was ever licensed in the decades of research because of the illness and death that's caused by these uh, this type of technology. So it's entirely what we were, you know, I was able to say 18 months ago that this would be what is happening. You did. You, you did call it. it. You did call it. Yeah, I know you called it. You called it on this program, and before you came on this program, you called it elsewhere. Professor Dolores Cahill. Richard, the reason why it's important to say that is that it makes people liable in law if it was well known. You know that this is not something that is unexpected, and that's why when I was doing my interviews, I was saying that the balance, you know, for the precautionary principle and for the act in honour, do no harm principle and the Hippocratic oath that because it was well known for decades that this was only cause harm, that it makes the uh, medical professionals that are continuing to inject and the regulatory authorities and the judges and the courts and the police um, and the politicians all liable in law for what they are doing. And, and I would also say... I know you're doing a great job, uh, Richie, but also for the reporting of this. And maybe just to say, UK column as well, uh, yesterday came out and, and were showing the statistics in the UK. And it said there has been a doubling in the death rate of um, people in Scotland under 60 since the injections. A doubling of the death rate. And that's not been reported uh, by the BBC and by the media. And And on that point, right, so... I hear you when you talk about the liability of those making the decisions. And I'm not being devil's advocate here. I genuinely mean this. The the vaccinators themselves, I don't believe they've got any idea that any of what you're saying is realistic. And I'll tell you why. Because they are and have been bombarded, are being bombarded and have been by the UK um, I call it the legacy, it's not my term, but the legacy media since day one. And that's all they get. I don't think on, when it comes down to the nurses, I don't think we can blame the fact that they haven't heard the Richie Allen radio show, you know, or that they haven't met Professor Dolores Cahill online. They believe they're doing a good thing. I, I genuinely believe that, Dolores. What do you say to that? So I suppose that's not really how uh, the law works. So anyone injecting anyone or enrolling them on a clinical trial, as these all are, and particularly for pregnant women, you have to, uh, you know, you have to only 
give them a medical intervention if it is necessary under the law. Yeah, you know? I hear you. And so I'm, not, I'm not arguing with you, but my point is these people are being told by everybody. They're being told by politicians. They are being told by scientists like Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance and Jonathan Van Tam. They're being told by their supervisors. Listen, yes, these are quickly quickly produced jabs, but we've done the testing in twice the speed or five times the speed. These jabs are good. And I think the person at the end of the line who's sitting with the patient and administering the jab, I I don't see them as being liable. And I'm not splitting hairs here. I could make a very good argument that they're, you know, why wouldn't they trust the people who told them these jabs are safe? Um, yeah, so I think the thing is, you know, that if you are a medical professional and you are enrolling people on a clinical trial, yeah, this isn't just somebody, you know, doing a trivial thing. You're actually enrolling people on a clinical trial. And normally the paperwork would be 20 or 30 pages. And the requirement to enroll people is to give them full and informed consent. That is under the law. And that is how our relationship with clinical trials and with medical professionals and scientists, that's how it works. And that means they have to go through what are the harm that may be done by this medical intervention. And they then need to be given that information by the person, you know, the company that's running the clinical trial and the regulatory authorities. They are required under law. And then these people need to be followed up. Um, so the other thing is that I've been saying, as you know, as many in the world, that this is gene therapy. And under the law, gene, anyone enrolling with gene therapy has to be followed for 15 years. Is that right? 15 years? 15 yeah. years. So that this is not just, you know, something that you can just, you know, something that's quite trivial. Uh, this is enrolling in a clinical trial. But these are the most deaths in clinical trials ever, right? And all this clinical trial that's been going on has the most deaths of all um, vaccination, so-called clinical trials, in the history ever, together in this trial, which has run for less than a year. I think when you and I first spoke, you talked about a trial of swine flu vaccine in the 1970s in the United States, which was halted when a few people died. There was immediate panic and there was a cessation of the trial instantaneously. And it's possible that maybe 50,000 people, it's possible that maybe maybe a million people, maybe five million people around the world, if the underreporting is by, you know, a factor of 100, could have died from these things and yet they're rolling it out. So I've got to ask you then, Professor Dolores Cahill is our guest, when you see the events in Austria in recent days, first of all, locking down the unjab and telling the unjab to stay home and then announcing plans to mandate the jabs and to fine people up to €3,000 if they refuse to have them. Then the German Health Ministry has come out and has indicated that it might go down the same road as Austria and make it a legal requirement of every citizen to have uh, the jabs. How do you react to that then? Is that what you expected would happen? So I guess, sadly for people, the plan that was, I, you know, has been uh, behind all this for decades, it's really about undermining the proper functioning of society and the rule of law 
and accountability. So, and it's really a transfer of power within our nations from people that we can hold to account to international uh, conglomerations or groupings of people that they are trying to make themselves as individuals and as organizations not accountable. So I've been using, you know, the politicians will say in the UK can say, well, some international organization has said this, like the United Nations or the World Health Organization. And then they can say the remit is that we lock everybody into their homes and deny them their inalienable rights to work and to travel and to meet their families. Um, and so really, this is about a transfer of power and controlling people. And what they want to do is control, we'll say, the generation over 30. If they can try and get away with this, you know, locking people up, enforcing people, testing, uh, clamping down on the travel between countries and within nations, that then the generation under 30 will then accept this as more normal in 10, 20 years' time. So this is kind of a, a, a policy that is, they see it in a vision for decades. So really, this has been rolled out under the United Nations Agenda 21, which is the agenda for the 21st century that was published in 1992 and goes on for another 79 years to the end of this century. So they are working in a decades-type timescale. Um, and so part of that then is to try and undermine the rule of law and accountability and then try and force people to accept the changes so that the police can come if you are not uh, injected or that they can intimidate people to being injected or that they can decide who travels and when. What about, um, I mean, on that, for anybody who thinks that's far-fetched, I understand that in Australia's northern territories in the last couple of days, um, the army has been relocating indigenous people to quarantine camps, including anyone they may have been in contact with. These are indigenous people who tested positive. Now, that's a fact. I'm not making it up. In fact, one one commercial radio station spoke about it today. I think it was Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio. So, so this is a real thing now. So you talked about the possibility there that if Richie Allen and Dolores Cahill, if we hold out and tell them to sod off, we're not having the jabs, there is a strong possibility in a year or two a constable will come and attempt to relocate us to a facility. That's what you're saying, Dolores. Well, that is, you know, part of the thing. But I suppose in my particular case, there was a summons and a warrant uh, and a trial that I was never given the documents to for convicting me for speaking to more than six people in September 2020 yeah. uh, outside. And that was for me to... Um, uh, for me to, um, you know, in a way that was to intimidate, right? But they actually didn't. You're required if there is going to be a trial um, that they have to give you the summons, which they never gave to me, never sent to my home and never uh, sent to my work, you know? So basically it was a trial in my absence, you know? And that was for speaking to people outside. So that is part of this process. You know, it's incremental. So if they think they can get away with that, and I've been given three summonses by uh, the police in Ireland and Gardaí Corner for travelling home uh, and landing in Dublin Airport without consenting to be 
uh, have my rights of privacy uh, to be infringed by them, you know, finding out information and about my where, you know, where I was. Where you were, yeah. Yeah, so that's in a way, this is what they try to do is they have different countries on different, um, you know, it's essentially a rollout of a marketing strategy to remove people's rights and freedom and to undermine the courts in the various uh, countries. So they would see like New Zealand, I would say New Zealand, Canada and Australia and maybe Ireland are at the, you know, the forefront. But we also see in countries like Austria, where they had won 22 out of 22 constitutional court cases against all of these unlawful measures. But then the Austrian government in the past two weeks decided to implement them anyway. And they're saying that in Austria, which I would say is unlawful, that people can only leave their homes um, if they are vaccinated, which is criminal and unlawful. Yeah, there is. there are reports coming out of Austria from from last night that there are legal moves afoot to challenge the constitutionality of what you described there Schallenberg's right to lock people in their homes because they haven't had a jab if that does come to a court in Austria that will be hugely interesting Professor Dolores Cahill is our guest Dolores allow me to indulge myself for a moment I want to play a 50 second clip from BBC Radio 5 this morning it's just a clip, it's just an audio clip. It's of it's it's a little soundbite from Claire Bryant, who is an immunologist. I'm just well aware you and I have spoken about this before. There are people listening to this programme who are on the fence and they criticize me for never having the other side of the argument, even though if they only knew, I spend hours and hours each week attempting to get the pro vaxxers to come on the program and have a friendly conversation. But I want you to have yeah. a, I want you to have a quick listen. It's only fifty seconds to Claire Bryant, an immunologist, and then you can respond. Okay. This this is what she thinks of the COVID jabs, right? Let's talk about some facts here. So millions and millions of people have had these yep. vaccinations. There have been very, very, very rare side effects. And yep. healthy people have been knocked back and killed with COVID. Do you want yep. to take that risk? For me, oh. no. The data is fantastic. After the booster, after the booster jab, okay, so the third jab, there is fantastic data, fantastic data showing how protected you are against disease. And if you look at the vaccine rollout that's occurred in Israel, for example, who are way ahead of us, they rolled out the primary, secondary, and booster vaccination program. They have very low infection rates, no minimal hospitalizations minimal deaths because they've rolled out the successful vaccination scheme. So really, that's where we want to be. According to Claire Bryant, the jabs are fantastic. There's nothing wrong with them. And the data they have to date is tremendous. They're, they're, they're really good at keeping people safe and keeping people out of hospital. That's what people are hearing when they switch on their TVs here in the UK. Yeah, so I suppose if you, you know, were to go to an actuary, you know, before even COVID-19 and look for if you were to ensure the risk of an adverse event following an injection. So the risk for the uh, any vaccination is one in 50 of a life limiting adverse event, one in 50. So that is not rare. And we know in the clinical trials for the HPV, human papillomavirus, the uh, 
life-limiting adverse events in that clinical trial was one in 40 people. Now, we know that the adverse events in those trials are often underreported. So in these trials, we see that pregnant women, the chance of them losing their babies are 90%, right? Not 2%. Um, so it is entirely incorrect. And we can also see that the death rate in the United Kingdom now has doubled in the under 60s directly correlated with this clinical trial. So while, you know, people can hand wave and say there is very little, the facts are, you know, the contrary. The data is there. And obviously in a few months we will see that the deaths of the babies are the babies that are born dead. So in the nurse that called in from Canada of those 13 babies that died, uh, they, each of the 13 mothers were uh, injected were enrolled in the clinical trial and so-called vaccinated. So, um, you know, the, the data is not going to go away. That's the thing. And you said to me earlier on, the CDC has acknowledged that if a pregnant lady is jabbed in the first trimester um, of the pregnancy, there's a very, very good chance the child will die after birth or will, will, will miscarry. Yes, and I actually have the publication for you as well. So it's done by Brooke and Thornley in November 2021. And I can send it to you, but it's a journal called Science, Public Health and the Law, uh, Volume 4, page 130. Yeah, clinical and translational research, and it's around spontaneous research in the mRNA uh, clinical trials. So they have done an analysis, and it has been uh, discussed and confirmed in like the World Doctors Alliance, and I'm very honoured to be, you know, on a, a lot of the meetings like Doctors for COVID Ethics and the World Council for Health. What you've told me, Dolores, I, I, I will, of course, as usual, put all those links out for people who might just be hearing you for the first time. I, I think the majority of people listening to me will know who you are. But what you've told me about that CDC paper and, and, and the THORN uh, study that's bigger than formaldehyde. That's massive. That's the biggest story of my career. I, I, I'm not breaking it. It's not my story. But, but my career as a producer, I, I, that's just absolutely massive, that story. And also, Ricky, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, they have put out the numbers but misinterpreted it, as they often do. And after the Brook and Thorne paper, the CDC had to do a correction to say that indeed the, they had done a misanalysis, essentially incorrectly and fraudulently representing the data. So I think that's why we need to, in a way, this COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 is sadly a distraction from the bigger picture, which is an undermining of how we hold people to account in our society, you know. So the CDC should be accountable as well for, um, and the directors should be fired, basically, if they are put, you know, because they know it's a federal and criminal offence for them to, they cannot put out the incorrect data, yeah. but then they misinterpret it and the media around the world um, misinterpret it. So that's what we saw in the clinical trials, you know, in May and June with um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. You know, and I came out and said that the analysis of those Nature and Lancet papers immediately were incorrect, and then it was just two weeks later, um, before they were actually withdrawn. And there was arrest in Brazil because they were giving the lethal dose in the clinical trials. 
you know. So I think people, you know, I know a lot of your listeners may not be aware so much about what's going on, but there is actually, you know, people are, these are clinical trials, and people are being killed, thousands of people in clinical trials. And what, why someone like me, who I, you know, I'm fighting for research integrity and evidence-based research, and that it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely criminal that doctors are injecting things that are causing adverse events and death and killing unborn babies under the guise and lies, literally lies, and the media are lying and the politicians are lying. So and, here's the question. You know, here, this, here's it's the not si- going to go away. No, it won't. But here's the $64 million or $1,000 question, whatever it is. I've got to ask this. I hear you loud and clear and others when you say that there's got to be a day of reckoning for these people, legally anyway. But where can anybody take any of these people to court? I've been doing programmes like this since 2010, 2009, 2010. I believe the judiciary here in Ireland and in other countries to be absolutely corrupt, corrupt from top to bottom. And taking any of these people or attempting to take them to court is a noble um, idea and and righteous in every sense of the word. But what chances do you have against judges in, in Ireland or in England and and uh, and the United States? It's going to be extremely difficult, isn't it, to get any of these people convicted in what we w- would, would, I suppose, call the, the, the established court or the established legal system. So I guess what we have, and for all your listeners here, is we have to have hope, you know, because I guess this is, would be like maybe we are the equivalent of 19, maybe 1936, 1937, you know. There are different kind of paths that we can take. But I guess for people like, you know, you and I who only want to hold people to account, everybody is innocent until they're proven guilty and we have to support the rule of law. That's why I was mentioning at the beginning that really we have to be, you know, and I admire the society in the UK, and you are very honourable, that the retired judges and the judges on the Supreme Court and on your high court, they really need to get together now, the judges um, and the police and the retired police, to say that really what, you know, if people were shooting people or, you know, sh- you know giving some other agent causing the death of children, unborn children, of everyone in society. Um, this would be seen as an attack on the healthy people and the health and, and the lives of, you know, the people that live in the United Kingdom and in Ireland, you know? Yeah. That we really, um, you know, if someone declared war on our society and we had piled up of a doubling of the number of people that have died in the last six months and it's not going to stop, that really we would be calling on the military and the police to say who is killing, you know, all generations, but particularly children and um, unborn babies. And, you know, there is an issue that anyone who gets the injection, I think, may be infertile for the rest of their lives, including the children, people in school. And so what I am calling on is that what we need is for people to come out and declare under the precautionary principle and the Hippocratic oath and the under the rule of law to first do no harm, to call on Boris Johnson, uh, the Prime Minister, to stop these clinical trials immediately. 
Something I mentioned in my monologue earlier, and it's been picked up by Isabel, and this is interesting. I, I'm guessing you might have come across this. At the moment, the, the government and the media is claiming that there is a pandemic of the unjabbed, that hospitals are filling up with people that haven't been jabbed. This is the, the mantra. But I've been able to determine, at least I'm pretty sure I've been able to determine, that the government is actually labelling people who have only had one jab or if they had two jabs but 14 days hasn't elapsed they're they're calling those people unjabbed so basically there are people in hospital who have been jabbed and they're not making it on those you know onto those figures so the government is saying on the one hand the hospital the in, intensive care units are filling up with unjabbed people they're saying that but in reality that's untrue and and Isabel has just said, Richie, if that's correct, all of those dead babies will never be recorded as death due to vaccination, particularly if mother has only had uh, the one jab. So that's a new phenomenon. They're not even counting people who've had a jab as having been jabbed. Are you aware of that, Dolores? Yes, I am. But of course, that is, you know... Um, these are clinical trials, okay? The government has a, an absolute requirement to enroll people. And it is, I would say, it's fraudulent and misrepresentation, right? This is a medical intervention. And we know, I mean, I've been studying adverse events for decades, that because of the reagents that they have been putting in for the last decades, like uh, polyethylene glycol and polysorbit 80, they actually cause issues like anaphylaxis. Right. And of course, that would be like if someone had a peanut allergy, and then peanuts were putting into were being put into medical intervention. That the most adverse events uh, in that kind of scenario is within the first hours and within the first fourteen days. And they know that, and that's why they are trying to misreport and fraudulently misrepresent um, the injection. So that is just untrue. And I, I think, in a way, you know, in the bigger picture. Uh, this is almost like the authorities are mocking us in a way. You know, it, it is just um, they are absolutely trying to do something on front of our eyes that does not make any sense and entirely misrepresents what's going on. Um, and we just have to call it out that anyone doing that is fraudulently misrepresenting the analysis. And, and you know, we will be able to track it because there are a lot of um, data for when different people got injected because it is a clinical trial. And so even though the media and the politicians are misrepresenting it now, um, you know, this will come out in a year or two. And what someone like me is trying to make people aware is that if the listeners there, if they have, you know, family members um, that are in the police or in the healthcare system, uh, in our nations and across the world, that they sit down with their family members and tell them that they have got to uh, really put pressure on their hospitals and on the doctors that they know to stop giving the injection, especially to children and pregnant women, um, and do everything in their power to put pressure on the people in the law and the judges. Because, you know, when people realize, I had a phone call this morning for someone, a pregnant woman who's hairdresser, um, the hairdresser said, don't get injected. The pregnant woman dismissed it, right? 
And then she, her baby died. And then she came back, you know, to the hairdresser, shaking her, going, why didn't you tell me? So why, you know, people like me are trying to speak out now is that, you know, we are trying to save the lives and the fertility and the health um, of people, but particularly those of childbearing age and children, because their plan is multi-generational reduction in life expectancy and a catastrophic decrease in the ability for anyone, I would say, who is getting these injections to ever have children. This programme, this is going to sound like a silly brag now, but it isn't, but I want to make the point here. Um, this is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. That's a fact, it is. And there are people listening to this for the first time all the time because they're confused, because they're upset, because they were told to come and listen to it because things are not adding up. So I've got to remind you, the lady you're listening to now got her honours degree in molecular genetics from Trinity College Dublin one of the finest academic institutions in the world. She has degrees in immunology and biotechnology and is internationally recognised for her biomedical research. When Dolores Cahill began speaking out about this stuff last year, if we lived in a normal world, the media would have been beating down her door for her to come on and explain why she feels the way she does about these interventions and adverse events and about depopulation and infertility. So I'm going to say it again. This isn't somebody that I've brought on who's got a conspiracy radio show on YouTube or they've got a platform. This is an expert in every sense of the word. And it's important that you understand that. I'm not telling you to believe her. I can't endorse her because I don't have her qualifications. But you have to listen to her. You've got to at least listen to her and share this information with other people, and reiterate what I've just said. This is not Auntie Doris or Uncle Ken. This is an eminent scientist, an award-winning scientist, who's saying these things. And she's been chased and harassed and pilloried and mocked by the media in my country, in our country, in Ireland, and here for having the temerity to say, listen, this is not right, this is wrong. So I want to reiterate that. It's important. This isn't just anybody. And in fact, when you think back over the last couple of years on this programme, it's been Professor Bakdi, it's been Martin Kuldorf, it's been others. How sick are you to this day, Dolores, that people of your calibre, and I'm not kissing your arse, I mean it, people of your education, of your research capabilities, have been basically cast, at the very least, thrown to one side by the media, and at worst, demonised and harassed out of your profession is that still having an effect on you the fact that this could happen to people like you with all your credentials well I think um, first of all we have a duty you know I have a duty under the law because when I was aware of this for 25 years I actually I was in my 20s really when I found out about it and I could I couldn't speak for about two months when I realized what was going on I was in such shock um, and then I've spent really all of my life trying to find the solutions of this, which is in the law. And that's why I worked in units around coordination of the world and how do you rebuild societies after war, you know, when I worked in the European Union. So I think that I don't really, it doesn't affect me in a way because I have 
uh, done my grieving 25 years ago for what was going on. And so I have been, you know, preparing for this. So that's why I think it's important for, um, you know, I'm very grateful for all of the people who write to me and text me every day that I'm, I'm working on a number of projects in a way for us to hold. This. What's happening is this is the house of cards, right? The globalist agenda. And sadly, it has to get this bad for the rest of society to realize what has been going on for decades. And it's really, I have a duty um, and I'm happy to do it to to hold and really work with the thousands of people around the world in the World Freedom Alliance, the World Doctors Alliance, to already start to prepare the society which will be separate from, you know, will actually hold people to account. We will have to have people that get elected and have to have a transparent media and we will have to look at the judges and the police will have to do their job. So I, in a way, um, am not at all concerned really about what's happening to me as such and my reputation because um, in a way what they are trying to, the people that are interviewed on the BBC, they hold them up as being professors and doctors and they are saying, okay, you have to get the injection. So what they have to do is to undermine the professors and the medical doctors and the expert in law on the other, other side. That's how the propaganda works. They will call people great authorities and then anyone who speaks out against them, they have to undermine their reputation and ridicule them. And that's exactly what they're doing to me. So I'm not I'm not personally worried about it. Um, and what I've been doing with say since August um, is to prepare initiatives that we in the world would articulate a vision of the countries and the nations that we want to live in um, and that we then work towards that. But that's why we have a duty to make sure the killing stops now because in their plan, we are in step four of about step 100. There is no end to the destruction that they want to do. Their plan would be like um, in Stalinist Russia or in Germany. So that's why I'm really grateful to have people to listen is that they are not going to stop unless they are actually stopped. And I think that's what we need the pressure of your listeners to just have meetings in their families now. And if they have any influence with nurses or police or barristers or judiciary or politicians that they know and um, that they just tell them, you have to stop these trials now. A couple of quick questions. Um, we've covered a lot, a lot more than I thought we would, to be honest, in the time we've had so far. Um, how many, we're not asking for an exact figure. But Ireland's Health Service Executive, of course, the HSE, for people who don't know, it, uh, the HSE is basically the provider of public health and social care services in Ireland, right? That's what it does. And I've been asked to put it to you, how many of the, the employees of the HSE are aware of what's going on? They can't all be following blind, surely. Do you think many of them actually know what's going on, but they're just keeping stum? And taking the paycheck? I would say the majority of them have to know because there are things going on. I get phone calls all the time where people who are actually having heart attacks are not being treated in emergency situations unless they have are coerced into a PCR test, you know, and that means that every doctor and nurse knows they have to know that what's going on. 
they know you believe and it'll be the same here in the UK they, they, they will know so we're talking about administrators we're talking about people up the food uh, up the food trough they will now be aware that these jobs are doing great harm to people and yet they continue to, to, to just go with the programme that's how you see it Well I also think you know like coercing people so part of this thing really just if we zoom out a bit People have, you know, these inalienable rights and freedoms that cannot be taken away. They're very simple. You know, freedom of speech, freedom of travel, bodily integrity, privacy, you know, and, and the right to work and make a living, right? And so what the globalists do for them in, to take power away from ordinary men and women is to undermine those inalienable rights and freedoms. And the two simple things is, you know, everybody, whether you're a nurse or in the police, you are accountable for your actions and emissions under the law, and you have to act in honor, do no harm, right? These are all very basic concepts. So for the globalists to try and demoralize and undermine society, they have to infringe on your freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, privacy, and bodily integrity. So with the PCR tests and with the coercion on clinical trials, and, and if there are deaths in the old folks' homes, and they are not investigated by the police, they are all very simply infringing on people's right to life, you know, right to bodily integrity with the PCR test, um, right to privacy where they passenger locator and ask for data and uh, rights and freedoms to travel where they're saying you have to be locked in your house, you can't go to a meeting, you can't participate and listen to doctors working or you can't go to mass. So really, COVID-19, the coronaviruses, as we know, these are 100% preventable we know from for decades so really people need to just in a way move away from talking about the health aspect and look at it is an absolute infringement on people's freedom of speech uh, bodily integrity privacy and freedom of travel that's really what's going on tell us um before we leave it for today thanks for taking the call uh, by the way tell us about an initiative you mentioned to me this morning towards the end of our conversation. It's a new initiative and a new website you wanted to mention. Yeah, well, we're just working on it. I've been working on it for the past few months. It's custodian.com. So C-U-S-T-O-D-E-A-N, custodian.com. And it's really that we have to recognize we are custodians um, of our freedom, our future, our health and our heritage. So I've been going around the country that there are groups of people will say that know much more than I do um, about health or, uh, you know, about the, with working with the independent farmers or our, of Ireland, homeschooling, um, or just how communities can get together because we need to prepare for the next phase. So the next phase may be um, a reduction in the supply of food or there may be hyperinflation or a move to digital currency. And we know in some countries, like in Malta and Australia, people have woken up and the money in their bank accounts have gone down to zero just yeah. as a test phase, so, and there may be shortages of food supply. So I'm, I'm saying this not to worry people, but it's better if people are aware. So for the solution armed. really for what's going on is for people to build up uh, their local communities on their street and in their village and just get to know locally where does their supply of food come from. Um, and also if there are freedom-loving people that we would then decide to do business and support each other's cafes and restaurants. So Custodian, um, it's not launched yet, but it will be in the coming weeks. 
and it will be for people. You know, we already know there are um, initiatives like um, Stand in the Park and various public initiatives already all around the world. And it's just really to link people involved in those initiatives uh, to help them within their local communities try and develop a network locally and also try and support and do business locally because really the solution for this globalized agenda is for people to realize they need to support each other in each other's smaller communities but also in each other's nations and to uh, you know provide employment and we need to also invest in each other so if, if we want a freedom loving cafe or restaurant in your local town that maybe if a hundred people or a thousand people who are freedom loving would pledge you know that they would um, invest a hundred or uh, pounds within that restaurant in the coming you know month or two and then eat in that restaurant that because the banks are really not working and innovation is not happening and, and job creation that there would be a mechanism to just go between the freedom loving people and the services that they want in their local communities well, so the, it's custodian.com cust- I've been and I'll spell that month. so it's C-U-S-T O-D-E-A-N custodian but D-E-A-N at the end.com. I, I want to ask you this. I, I don't know where you are. Geographically, I don't know where you are. I'm in, I was in Northern Ireland. I was up with uh, Dr. Anne McCluskey uh, and we were working on, uh, you know, trying to build a new health service um, and also trying to finish off some of the notices that we're doing to hold people to account together. She's a real as She's a she is. I reached out to her some months ago. I don't. Maybe she didn't get the message. I was hoping to to have her on for a chat. Maybe in the future. I, I, oh I'm, well, I just want to tell her she'd be delighted. I'm also here with uh, Melissa Keane as well. So uh, the three of us are doing our best every day. You know. Well, I know you are, Dolores. And the reason I ask where you are, not to the sign of my bloody business, when you're back in the UK, if you're around Manchester, Salford, you have to let me know in advance so that. I can buy you a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, or something stronger. I hope, I hope, I hope, as an Irish lass, that it'd be something stronger that we'd uh, that we'd have. But uh, just to say, just to say hello and to thank you for for coming on. No, I mean it. Well, Godspeed to you and to Anne and to everybody else. And uh, I know you'll be back on soon enough to talk more about these initiatives. Uh, thanks so much again for your time today. It means a lot to me and to our listeners. And maybe, Richie, can I just finish off by saying, um, I do think that people listening, we do need to get people who have standing, you know, like pregnant women or whatever that are being coerced to take the injection, that they need to maybe contact us if they want to do things to stop it immediately, like taking injunctions. I do think, I feel very strongly that um, we really need to now work together, especially in our four nations, to try and just put, a, you know, under the precautionary principle, even if we were incorrect, that there is no justification for not just pausing this from now until Christmas to really openly uh, review the data. So if anyone um, has standing, we'll say, and they would like to help someone like me to injunct in any of our nations, they will very, um, if they can contact you, you can pass them on to me. I will indeed. I have the uh, website addresses and the email addresses. Dolores, thanks so much for coming on again. And um, I look forward to next. I hope things will be a bit better next time you come on. Thanks again. That's great. Thanks, Richie. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Dolores Cahill there. Uh, Professor Dolores Cahill to you and me. want to reiterate that earlier on. I wasn't grandstanding. I wasn't when I said what I said. It's very important. I get a lot of emails 
fact, I, I was talking to Hayden about this. The program through the website gets around five to six hundred emails a day, and they're not spam. They're genuine people, either offering an opinion, which always makes me smile, not because there's anything wrong with you offering an opinion, but if you only knew the workload that I have, it makes me smile. I'm like, well, okay, I'll read one or two of them if I can, but I just don't have the time for it. And I hear a lot from people who've recently found the program, which also makes me smile. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing, it doesn't get me excited. It's a strange phenomenon, really. You know, to have thousands of people listening live pre the COVID scam and a very healthy listenership and then to see it basically almost treble since the outset of this. So go back to March 2020. And the fascinating th thing for me about that is getting emails from people who often start off by saying, I've been listening for three months now or four months now. And, 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 and I do try and read as many of those emails as I, as I can. Because I want to see what was the, what was the catalyst? How did you end up finding this program? What was it? What happened? You know, and that's why I want to reiterate: if you're new to the program, or if you came to the program because you read about the program in the Guardian, or you heard about it on Sky News, and you wanted to check it out for yourself, I don't put people on the air making the claims that Dolores Cahill made this evening lightly. You know, I'm a genuine journalist. I check people's backgrounds before they come on. And I've got to say again, this is a woman with an honours degree in molecular genetics. Can I even say that? Molecular genetics from Trinity College in Dublin. It's not because I'm Irish. One of the finest academic institutions, maybe not today, maybe, in the world with a PhD in immunology and biotechnology from Dublin City University, another noble educational institution, an award-winning uh, woman recognised internationally for her biomedical research. And that's all I want people to do, really, is, is just ask themselves this very simple question. Why would Dolores Cahill say these things? Why would she put herself in a position where she would have to leave University College Dublin? where she's lectured for some years in her areas of expertise. Why would anybody do that? What would be in it for them? And I've genuinely, I've genuinely sat up nights, genuinely, he says again, trying to poke holes in people like Dolores Cahill and the other scientists from the other academic institutions who have come on and said something similar that they believe the jabs could be deadly for people in the short, medium and long term. That they believe that this is medical tyranny at its base level. But that it's about something far more sinister than just simply, you know, forcing medicines on people who don't want them. At the base level, pharmaceutical companies and their shareholders are making and will make billions and billions of dollars. Yes, somebody gets rich, of course, but that's the base level. It's ultimately not about that. Why do these people say what they are saying? And that's the question I'd like you, if you're new to the programme, or programmes like this, to consider, to think about, and to speak to your neighbours and friends about. Why would they say this? You know, some of the 
commercial radio jocks, they like to laugh at Auntie Doris and Uncle Ken and, and make it out that the only people making claims that the jabs are unsafe are screw-loose people on social media. Now, they, they of course, know that to be bullshit. They, they, they know they are lying when the lies are pouring forth from their mouths. They know. They're well aware they are lying. It's not Auntie Doris and Uncle Ken. <laughs> it's not Mickey down the, down, down the nag's head, pissed up on, on Stella, who's saying that the jabs are dangerous. It's thousands of doctors, many of them signed up to this thing called the Great Barrington Declaration. And I would ask you to share with your friends and ask them a very simple question. Why are these people not appearing on BBC One's Question Time, on the politics show on BBC Two? Why are they not showing up on LBC Radio? Why are they not even showing up on talk radio? Why? They've obviously earned the right to opine on these matters with their degrees in biomedical things and biotechnology and molecular genetics. They've obviously got some understanding of the subject. Why are they not appearing on the programmes you're watching? That's the 64 million. I know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. But if you're new to this and you stumble upon this programme because I get a bit of free publicity from Sky News or some idiot calls me calls the programme, labels it a, a haven for cranks and anti-Semites, which of course it isn't, and you've decided out of curiosity to come along. Well, Dolores Cahill is the calibre of person you can expect to hear on this programme any given day. Any given day. And you should be asking yourself, why are we listening to people like Dolores Cahill on this programme and not on BBC News today? That's what you should be asking. Shouldn't you? The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Now, you have bombarded me with comments, so let's go to some of your comments on the website. It's richieallen.co.uk. Don't forget Gerald Salente, the, the legend behind the Trends Journal, will be on with me tomorrow Always good value and a great pal of mine. He's been on my programmes now since my days in Spain. Fair play to him. The website was down once or twice as well. That's traffic, darling. That's traffic. And I've not shared this with Hayden Hewitt yet, so if he's listening, he might be shaking his fist at me. But maybe if funds, and I'm not asking you for extra funds. I do want you to support the programme. Please do. I'm not asking you for extra uh, support. But if the funds are there, I might move the website away from WordPress and onto something a bit sexier. But that will be, of course, funding dependent. That will be funding dependent, and I'm sure you'll understand that. It's I like the website. He he did an absolutely magnificent job on it with, with very little to work with, let's be honest. And he's a genius when it comes to these things. And he done a fabulous job with richieallen.co.uk. I like the way it looks. The articles are neat, they're tidy, it looks well, and it's easily navigated. I like that. But there are upgrades. Um, I'm well aware of that. And the programme is doing so well in terms of listener volume around the world that it's about time maybe that we had an upgrade for the website. Okay. Colin, who's in Kerry, says, Richie, it's a shame that those like Dolores Cahill, who have spoken out, have been dismissed and had their reputations ruined. Dolores is a woman of great integrity and should not be silenced. Well, as long as this programme exists and others, because she does appear on other platforms, 
Colin, you're, you're absolutely right. She won't be silenced. But as big as the reach is, and on the one hand, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek when I say most listened to independent news radio show in the world. It is. It genuinely is. I say that to wind people up, certain people up. I don't say it to, to big myself up. Now, my friends know this. I'm as grounded as you can possibly be. I've been doing radio for years, you know, at every level. It, it, it's, it's nice that it has a lot of listeners, but I don't get off on that. I really don't. I say that to piss certain people off. It's the same reason I posted the the Apple podcast charts on the website a few weeks ago because I was beating all of the mainstream media people like uh, Ian Dale on talk on, on on LBC, Mike Graham on talk radio, Julia Hartley Brewer. My podcast gets downloaded more than theirs. It really does, by the way. I say that to wind people up. And also to give you, a, you know, I don't know, it's for you, I suppose, really. Anybody who supports it, you want to know that you're supporting something that's worthwhile. Why would you spend money with or or financially support some live radio programme out of a home studio in Salford? Why would you do it unless it was reaching people? There's no point in doing it unless it's actually reaching people. Is it any good? Well, that's up to you. Is it reaching people? Well, I can tell you it is. We know it is. That's why I say most listen to independent news radio show in the world. Uh, it's to give you a bit of a fillip, really. That's an old saying, that bit of a Philip. Patricia says, Richie, thanks to Professor Cahill for this interview. Uh, much respect to, uh, to, to, to you both for having the courage against uh, the odds to bring the truth. Thanks, Patricia. The, the Dolores might deserve that, but I certainly don't. I, I make this programme because I enjoy it. I'm selfish like that. I've said this before. Remember, I was on the Isle of Wight some years ago with David and he was doing a run. He was doing a kind of a, a rehearsal of a talk and people came to see him in a theatre in the Isle of Wight and people were coming up to, to him and, and, and quite rightly thanking him for his work and his writing over the years and the research and the travelling, quite rightly. But there were some people were thanking me, <laughs> like, piss off, piss off. I do what I do because I'm curious. I've been curious ever since I came into the media. Who, who are we not hearing from? What are they saying? And why are we not hearing from them? Well, I'll, I'll give them a platform. And of course, in the early days, my platform wasn't worth very much. You know, when I was doing the radio show in Spain, we had a decent listenership, but not great, you know. When I started doing this back in 2014, it took a while to have any sort of listenership. But um, I enjoy it. I, 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 I do. And... Uh, if it makes some sort of difference. If a pregnant woman hears this tonight and hears Dolores Cahill talk about the CDC knowledge that first trimester pregnant women have a really serious chance of losing their baby if they're jabbed. If a pregnant woman hears that tonight, well, happy days. Job done. You know. Hi to Pandora. Hi to, to, to Charlotte who says, we don't take it personally, she says. I don't know what I said now. What 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 should you not take personally? I don't know what I don't know what I said because I'm rambling. Hi to Bridget. How you doing, Bridget? Who says Anna Redfern, Cinema and Co. in Swansea. What's the latest with that lady in Swansea? I phoned a mobile phone number last week and I spoke to a an employee of Cinema and Co. who said that they would get Anna Redfern to come back to me, but she didn't come back to me. Understandably, of course everybody and their granny 
was trying to get her onto various programmes nationally and, and locally. So I, I don't mind that. But what I can tell you, I suppose, if you don't understand, if you don't know the story, Anna Redfern operates an indie cinema in Swansea in Wales. And to her eternal credit, she declared that she would not be asking cinema goers who came to her cinema for COVID passports or COVID certification. And of course, the local authority went after her and threatened to shut her down. Let me know if there's any news on that. Is it still operational? Is Anna still opening the cinema? I hope she is. I really do. Hi to Neil James. How you doing, Neil? Hi to Alice Cooper. I'm certain it's not the Alice Cooper. Gavin says, despite qualified people like Dolores trying their best, they will only be allowed to reach people that are already fully aware of the agenda. Excuse me. And of the poison jabs, says Gavin. And there's a bit of truth in that, Gavin. There is a bit of truth in that. You know, I think you're right there, you know. Okay, let me scroll on down. Good morning or good evening? Well, it's good morning. Good evening it is. Yeah, David is not in New Zealand. No, I'm thinking of somebody else. Good evening to David Keane. Thanks, David. number of you are chatting amongst yourselves about the futility of speaking to your siblings. Don't give up on them. That's all I can say to you. Don't give up on them. Don't get angry. I know it isn't easy. I know. I know personally it isn't easy. Although I've not had it face to face. My, my, I've had WhatsApp message conversations with aunts, aunts, aunts of mine, aunties. And they think I'm crackers. Cloud Cuckoo Land. Asher, it's all mad, Richie. Your programme is all mad. And sure, you have some, you have some wackos on there, don't you, boy? I don't get remotely annoyed. There's no point. I just tip away. Just tip away, as we say back home. Just tip away and keep calm. Don't be angry. Smile. Because you love these people, right? So, well, yeah, you say wackos, but genetic, molecular genetics from Trinity College in Dublin. Hardly a wacko. Anyway, look, the information is there. If you want to have a little listen to that interview, auntie, have a listen, see what you think of it. I won't give up on anybody. It's funny, um, my my better half's mother seemingly has decided to give up after months and months has decided to give up on trying to persuade Caroline to have the jabs. She, she, she went on at her for months. Calls every second day. She's had her booster. The, uh, the mother-in-law in all but name has had the booster. And you, you, you've got to be worried about that. I know Caroline is worried about it, but what can you do? Nothing. You can't lose sleep over it. They're all big boys and big girls, aren't they? Everybody ultimately is responsible for their own actions, aren't they? Gaz Bob says everything going on now is unlawful. The legal world has, had, has, has to be stopped. He says everything going on now is unlawful. The legal world has to be stopped because it's their system that is enabling these crimes. That's true, true even, and it begs the question again, and, and I admire Dolores, and I did ask her the question. I do challenge my guests. What's the point in taking people, or attempting to take people, to court based on foreknowledge, based on their knowledge that these jobs are dangerous, but they continue to recommend them anyway? Which court do you think will hear that case 
which judge in the country do you think will rule in a fair and just manner when hearing that case? My very, and I know it's, you might say it's depressing, Richie. You might say, Richie, you're very, you're very sceptical, you might say, Richie. Look, I don't believe it'll happen in a court of law. And maybe that's why Dolores Carl said, right, look, we need to maybe try and impress upon former policemen and policewomen, former military people, people who you know to be decent, maybe, former judges. But then you have Jonathan Sumption, when you speak about former judges, who was a very interesting character, Jonathan Sumption. I had a Skype conversation, actually a conversation, we weren't typing, we were speaking. He, I went looking for him on Skype and I found him. And I sent him a request and he got back to me immediately. And accepted me, so I rang him and he answered me. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm kind of impressed by you basically standing up for the right of the individual not to be locked out of their businesses and told that they have to compromise their financial futures for a virus that isn't really that serious. I like your anti-lockdown stance. I'd like to have you on. And Sumption said, yeah, sounds good to me. He said, although I didn't believe him, I think he was just being polite. He said that he'd heard of the programme, but I, did, I didn't buy that. And I said, great, well, look, we'll schedule some time. And he said, well, I'm about to go on a holiday now. But uh, here's the email address, my personal one, not my academic ones, and we'll, we'll, we'll set something up. Very positive. Of course, I left it a week or so, leaving that bit of time for him to go away for his week. I think he was cycling somewhere. I don't think he was cycling. I think there was a bike waiting for him at journey's end and then he was going to cycle around the countryside or something anyway. So I got back to him and he began to be, oh no, I can't do it. Oh no, I can't. Oh no, I can't. No, I can't. It doesn't suit me. And then I tried a couple more times and each time the reasons became a bit more vague. And the last time I said, listen, uh, and I'm not this confrontational as you might think because I, ca I can be on the programme. And I used to be a very confrontational interviewer in my mainstream days. But when I'm dealing with people officially, I'm exceedingly polite. So I said to him politely, and I've got the email exchange. I said, if it's something you don't want to do, just say it. And that will save me coming back to you and inviting you back on again. I don't mind if you don't want to come on. There was no response to that. So that ended the communication. And it's interesting that we were... We were um, speaking to, uh, obviously, a lawyer in Hong Kong uh, last week. And, and, and I, I really hope uh, we get him back on the programme again. I'll, uh, I should have put something on the website about that, actually, but I, I, I will do that. I'll get around to that. But um, I wanted to make the point that um, privately we were talking about Jonathan Sumption. And he said to me, uh, Richie, he said... Uh, this is Robert, by the way, the, the the barrister in Hong Kong. And privately he said to me, you know, whether knowingly or not, no, I won't, I won't do that because because maybe maybe I'll 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 misquote him. I shouldn't do that. No, but we were talking about Sumption and his seeming 
about turn on on his attitude towards tyrannical things like vaccine mandates and vaccines and stuff. And what happened was um, around about that time, the assumption was on his holiday and he had given me a clear indication that he was interested in coming on. Around about, around about that time, he started to endorse the jabs. And if he had come on with me, I'd planned to really go after him about endorsing the jabs. My line of questioning would have been, you are a former UK Supreme Court judge. You sat on the Supreme Court. By all accounts, you were a very good barrister. By all accounts, you are a fastidious, diligent researcher. By all accounts, you're pretty well read and a notorious sceptic. Or you were notoriously sceptical of authority during your time in the law. How could you endorse the jabs? You must know better than that. You must know that the jabs are in phase three trials, that they haven't been available to people for more than a year, that there are reporting systems on the government's website and internationally that show that these things are not great. So how could you possibly endorse the jabs? So today I put a piece out on the website about Sumption with a childish, but I suppose eye-catching headline which reads... Sumption is just another gatekeeper because I can't see him as being anything other than a gatekeeper. He wrote in the Telegraph today about the jabs and he said that opposition to vaccines is foolish. They are highly effective at preventing serious illness and death, he said. Or wrote, he wrote, I should say. But they're not as effective against infection or transmission. Those who, are, who refuse to be vaccinated may be unwise, perhaps selfish. Now, I'm not going to give him a pass. I give a lot of people a pass. And I say, I say that, that most people are on a need-to-know basis. When I said to, to Dolores earlier on that I'm not sure the vaccinators are liable legally for any damage done and she didn't accept my opinion, fair enough, absolutely, and she disagreed with me. Some of you went a bit batshit crazy on the comment live swearing at me. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm being the devil's advocate. But number two, these people have been told by those in charge of the nation's health, those who control public health in England, they have been told that these jobs are fine and dandy. Their fears have been assuaged when it comes to the jobs being rushed out. Don't be under any illusion. I'm sure many of those at the coal face, to use a cliche, the ones taking the jabs out of the boxes, I'm sure many of them have said, are you sure these are safe now? It normally takes quite a bit of time before we start putting these things in people's arms. I'm sure some people have asked that. But those in control of public health, Patrick, excuse me, Chris Whitty in England, Patrick Valance, Van Tam, not to mention June Rain, the CEO of the MHRA, the Medicines and Healthcare Regular Regulatory Authority. Those people have assuaged the fears of the people at Ground Zero. The jabbers. They've told them, no, we're telling you it's safe. It's on us. Trust us, they're telling them. 
Why wouldn't they trust them? Like I said to Dolores, if you've never heard of the Richie Allen show, and while I might sit here and say the most listened to, listen, the majority of people in the country haven't heard of the Richie Allen show. The majority of people in the UK are completely unaware that such a thing as the independent media exists. They're completely unaware of it. Never heard of it. So can they be blamed? No, they can't be blamed. But I blame Jonathan Sumption, and that's why I call him a gatekeeper. Sumption knows that something is going on. You can't keep blaming it on on an unnatural clinging on to methodologies that are not working. That's what Sumption does. He gives a pass to the government. Despite the fact we're going into fourth wave and fifth wave of COVID, which we're not really, but he thinks we are. In spite of the fact that you've given 110 million jabs in the country, in spite of the fact that you've had three lockdowns, and that you've had mask-wearing mandates and social distancing. Sumption wants to believe that the government and its advisors are galactically stupid. And that they are stubborn. This is the reason they want to push the jabs harder. And this is the reason they're talking about COVID passports. Sumption says it's just because they're not great at managing public life. I don't believe that Sumption believes that. I don't believe for a minute that Sumption doesn't know that something else is going on. You can't keep hanging or clinging on to the, well, their governments, they're just fucking incompetent. No. And I don't believe he believes that. But he's pushing the jabs now and suggesting, even if it's gently suggesting, that you're foolish and maybe selfish not to have the jab. I think he's just a gatekeeper. And maybe, and I have no proof of this, and I'm not even really suggesting this, but for a giggle, you know, maybe somebody said, listen, good lad, good lad, if you want to go on to telly, whichever TV shows will have you, to complain about creeping totalitarianism, you do that all you want, Jonathan. That's fine, pal. But do us a favour. Make sure you promote the jabs while you're at it, won't you? There's a good lad. That's how I see Jonathan Sumption. I've said this since day one. I, I grin from ear to ear when I get called out by people who say to me, you know, Ah, Richie, can't believe you're having a go at Jonathan Sumption. I, I, remember, I remember Jeremy Corbyn, the abuse I took. There was absolute uproar. There was joy when Corbyn became the Labour Party leader in 20... 16 was it joy and all I said at the time was and I didn't even use crass language I didn't swear I would have at the time explained exactly who Jeremy Corbyn is a social democrat a millionaire champagne socialist who found it very easy to criticise Israel from the back benches from oblivion in Westminster but the same Jeremy Corbyn who swore an oath of allegiance to the Queen of England and all of her heirs every session of Parliament. I said, this guy's going to do fuck all, I said. I took some abuse. Now, of course, I've got thick skin and I love it. I really love it. I love engaging with it. I laughed and I laughed and I said, listen, 
What happened? I said it then and I say it today. The establishment presents you with its own opposition. I said it on the programme last night. The establishment says, you need some opposition to us. Here it is. So whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, whether it's Jonathan Sumption, it's the establishment saying, here's a rabbit hole, you go on down it, but you're going to be very disappointed at the end. Problem is, by the time you realise that you're following Pied Pipers like Jonathan Sumption and others, and these other podcasts that come out of nowhere, that are promoted, while, while, while YouTube channels like mine are deleted. You'll remember that before all this started. YouTube channel for the Richie Allen Show with more than 100,000 subscribers and growing at the rate of 5,000 subscribers a week gets deleted, while others, presented by toffee-nosed wankers like Freddie Sayers, unheard, and others, get promoted. The system giving you its own opposition. Here you are. Here's the opposition. You follow that and be happy that something is being done. And when you realise at the end of it that nothing is being done, we'll have advanced about five more steps along the agenda. But, um, and that's something that's going to have to hit home with people pretty quickly, I think. Following Pied Pipers and, you know, loving people and falling in love with people on Twitter because they're saying things you want to hear. We've got to get away from that, I think. And that goes for this programme. I don't want you listening to this programme of an evening if it's only because you hear what you want to hear. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of my time. And if you really think about that, without losing your temper, just think about what I'm saying. It's got to be more than this, you know, if we're going to stop this. And uh, that's how I feel about it, you know, and I, can, I get to say what I want to say. And next time I do a phone-in, which will be in a week or so's time, you can come on and have a go at me and say you disagree with me. Echo chambers are no good, you know. It's got to be something more if uh, we're going to get out of it. So, there you go. Anyway, thanks a million to Professor Dolores Carroll. Thanks you, or thank you for listening. We'll speak again tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. From me, your BBG, it's enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Take care of yourselves and one another. Bye now. Bye now.